Well, let's see this morning if you can finish a phrase for me. I'll start it off and I'll stop and you see if you can finish it, okay? It's an old phrase. So it says this goes away. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words or names can never hurt me. Um, it's a phrase that people say to their kids usually when their kids are getting picked out on the playground, right? Somebody said, a brother or sister said something. You're a uh, fill in the blank. Oh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words or names can never hurt me. Let me tell you something. That's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's the stupidest phrase we've ever come up with because it's wrong. I have broke bones, and they've healed, and they're just fine, and I don't really even remember it. Matter of fact, I had to think about it when I thought that phrase. I thought, have I ever broke bones? I thought, yeah, I have. And they're all healed up, and they're better, and they're never, never the worse for them. But I can recount for you, those don't hurt me anymore, but I can recount for you, word for word, hurtful things that were said to me when I was a little kid. And I can still remember them like they are yesterday. I can remember them, what was said to me. And, and they still have the potential of, ca- of having impact and actually causing hurt and pain. You see, church, there's a, a reality that we need to deal with today. It's what I want to deal with our overriding, arching idea what I want to talk about today is, in the sermon is this. Words matter. What we say matters. Our words can be used for great good. They matter. We can do great things with our words. And our words can be used for great harm. Words matter. And this is what James is dealing with in the next section of verses that we come to as we're going through the, the book of James together. So I want to just read this section and understand that he's dealing with this idea that, that words matter. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to read the first 12 verses. So a pretty lengthy section, James 3, 1 through 12. And we have to deal with it as a whole because he's really, if you've noticed something, you'll notice it again here. James has a pattern. And we start, when, you, when you study the scriptures, you start seeing um, different authors have different writing styles. And James has a unique writing style. He does it repeatedly in James. We looked at it last week, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, when we talked before Easter, we talked about um, faith being proven by works, is that he makes a statement, basically, or lays out a, some idea, and then he just comes at it from a whole different bunch of ways. He, he just says, illustration, 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 trying to prove a point. And that's what he does here again. So in 13 verses, he's just, trying to, he's just talking about one overarching thing, words matter, and he's going to make some, some different comments about that along the way. So James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. Anybody say amen to that? We all stumble. You know what? That's really good news. If you get this idea that you think you do anything wrong, you stumble, and you just beat yourself up, here's the reality. We all stumble in many ways. That's humanity. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bit into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and they're driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. 
and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? It's all talking about one overriding thing. Words matter. And I think the first thing we should notice as we begin to review this section is how seriously James um, takes this subject. You know, we're the ones who break down his letter in the verses, but in that breakdown, he spends 13 verses coming at this topic from every imaginable angle and with every illustration that he can think of in order to drive the point home to us that words matter. And let's remember that when he's doing this, he is writing to Christian people, the overarching idea of this whole book, writing to Christian people about how to live well in difficult times. And I'd imagine what had happened is James had been listening to the folks of the church hurt each other with the words that they were speaking. And remember, there are people under pressure. There are people who are being persecuted. They were living in a great time of economic and political turmoil, economic oppression because they were Christians. And they were ostracized um, because they were Christian people. The Jews hated them and, and the Romans hated them. And so no one liked them. So the pressure was being turned up on these folks um, for being followers of Jesus. And under that pressure, it would seem that they were saying things to each other that were hurtful and harmful. James is saying, hey man, you're, you guys are biting and devouring each other and this isn't good. And you know what? Let's not be too harsh on them. We all know what that's like. You know, you have one of those days at work, you know, or at school and and. and, and Everything you do in, your day, in that day is you're caring for the kids, whatever you're doing, everything has gone wrong. Anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Has anybody ever had a day like that? Yeah? Gary, I think you told me all last week was that way. And you have one of those days or one of those weeks and everything's going wrong. And maybe after a really tough day, you get in your car and you drive home and traffic stinks, you know, and you finally get home, and you walk in the door to what's supposed to be this loving family, and the, and the family's kind of in chaos, and something minor happens, and you snap. And how do you snap? What you generally do is you say something hurtful, you criticize or you condemn, and the reality is, according to James, it says something we've all done. He says we've all done it. Well, this is what James is dealing with in this section. He's dealing with the words that we speak especially when we're under pressure. And so what James does here is he, he goes through and he basically gives a bunch of different illustrations and in that illustration of how our words matter, he makes kind of four um, my, major statements about words on, on how our words can be, 
can be hurtful and how we can manage them, what they reveal. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take this whole section we're just going to pull out four statements that we can learn so that we can live better, especially under pressure, that we can live more enjoyable, more united, more fruitful and positive lives as we live together in the kingdom of God. That's what James' aim is for us here, saying how can we do our words, use our words better to bring about the good and beautiful life that God intends for his people in the kingdom of God. So, so four statements. Look, the first one is this. And these are statements I'm making up. James didn't say these. I'm looking at the thing and saying, here's a statement he's making about, about the words we speak. And then I'll explain them from the, from the text then. So statement number one. The words we speak reveal our maturity or lack of maturity. We're talking about spiritual maturity here, or at least emotional maturity. That we're growing up. We're not stuck living and acting like immature children. The words that we speak reveal our maturity or lack of maturity. That's what verses 1 and 2 are all about. He's talking this idea of talking about teachers. James warned people in this text here to not want to become teachers for the wrong reasons. He's not saying don't become teachers. In the context of what's going on in this book and the society, then, he was warning about them wanting to become teachers for wrong reasons. Now really this was maybe more of an issue in James's day in this particular area because um, being a religious teacher in his day was viewed as the highest goal that one could attain to. That if you became a rabbi, a teacher, basically you were a, a rock star. You were a celebrity. People literally followed you around and listened to what you said. You were a celebrity when you became a rabbi, a teacher. So, because of that, many people, now that, that same culture comes into the brand new church, and that idea of wanting to rise up and be a teacher so people would listen to me and follow me, which is a pretty much appealing to the human heart, was alive and well even in the brand new church. So many people wanted to become a teacher, or the, the Jewish word, a rabbi, in the church, but they wanted to do it for the wrong reasons. They wanted the, the praise and the, and the attention and the, the pat on the back and the feel good about everybody listening to what I say. That's why they wanted to become teacher. Well, there's a potential big problem with that. Because what do teachers do? Teachers teach. That's what they're supposed to do. They teach. They use primarily words to communicate truths and values and ideas. They influence people. They affect the direction of other people's lives. Think of a teacher in school, that teacher who said to you at some time, you'd be great at, and it really changed the course of life. Or you thought you wanted to do this, and some teacher said you'd be bad at that. Even though maybe you should have done it, and they changed the course of your life. Teachers affect the direction of people's lives. And an immature teacher has the possibility of doing great harm with the words that they speak. They are able to lead people astray because of their position, because we, we raise them up here, as a teacher, they're able to actually lead people in the wrong direction. Well, James uses this as an illustration to point out that the words we speak reveal our maturity. He says the words you speak reveal your maturity, not your position, the position you hold. He says, we all stumble in what we say. He says, none of us are perfect. However, he says, the mark of maturity is less stumbling in what we say. And that's what he's saying in verse 2. He says, look at it. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is 
perfect, a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, anyone who, who does not use their tongue in inappropriate ways reveals that they are, he says, perfect. Well, perfect here is referring to maturity. He's not saying someday we're going to be perfect people, but the word perfect often in the New Testament is referring to becoming spiritually mature, becoming more fully mature. So a way to evaluate your maturity is to examine how you speak. That's what he's getting at. Do you bless instead of curse? Do you encourage people? Do you, do you listen before you speak so you can say the right things to them? Do you gossip and do you criticize? Do your words build other up or do your words build, tear people down? James says that that's a mark of maturity. He says that your gray hair is not a mark of maturity necessarily. That's just a mark of old age. And your high position as a teacher is not a mark of maturity necessarily. That's just the that fact that you got to that position, whether you should be there or not. He says, the mark of maturity is not gray hair or high positions. The mark of maturity is the words that come out of your mouth. How do you, have you matured? As you're maturing, does it change how you speak? That's something for us to think about as we mature. No one's perfect, but has it changed how we speak? That's the first statement that James is making about the fact that our words matter. Second statement. This one, I hope we understand already from a little bit we said, and it's this. Our words are very powerful. Our words are very powerful. And he uses three illustrations here. He talks about um, bits in a horse's mouth. He talks about rudders on a sail ship. And he talks about a spark that can light an entire fire. He said um, that there's something very powerful about something very small. Now, have you ever heard the slogan, loose lips sink ships? I think we got a picture of this. Anybody know what that is? Loose lips sink ships came from a World War II ad campaign. That what was going on, remember something about World War II, because a lot of us, you know, we weren't alive then, right? Um, it was, how many of you have German roots? I'm, I'm half German, okay? Now here's the deal. How many of you have German heritage and you actually have relatives who are German? Everybody who just raised their hand. You all have relatives that are German if you have German heritage. Who are we primarily fighting in World War II? Germany. So here was a very real possibility. German people were one of the largest immigration groups to America. Large population of former Germans, but still Germans, living in America. Now we're at war with Germany. And I could talk about what's going on in German, to, my, to my German relatives, not knowing that maybe some of my German relatives are still loyal to Germany. That they're in America, but they're really hoping that, that you know, the, the Fuhrer is going to win and Germany is going to take over the world. And that was a very real thing that went on during World War II. So they understood it was happening, and the reason it says loose lips sink ships is it was very possible for me if I'm half German, I am, to speak to a German relative who is still really rooting for the other side. And I, because everybody in World War II was part of the war movement, not this idea that we've had even our current wars, which are, which are huge and they're, they're big, but you know what? Nothing like a world war where everybody, every industry, everybody was engaged in the war effort. And so you knew, so you know, remember Rosie the Riveter? 
I was going to put Rosie the Riveter up there. That was the, the, one of the part of the ad campaign for the, the women in America was the men were all fighting, the women were building ships. And they understood this. We're all involved in the, in the war effort. And what happens if my part of the war effort, I actually know something about where the ships, like I go, hey, my nephew's getting on a ship and they're sailing to that certain place. And I say that to my relative who's loyal to Germany and he tells it back to somebody else and they know that now this ship on this day is heading for that place. Well, what would their goal be? Send a submarine and sink the ship. So they had to say, we've got to tell people to stop talking about what they know. And so they said, loose lips sink ships. And so it was an idea that, listen, keep quiet about what you know. Because, guess what, friends? It was saying this, our words are powerful. So James, in his text here, doesn't use loose lips sink ships, but he uses three illustrations that the people of that day would understand. And I think we'll understand, because especially us in Port Washington, we're, we're somewhat rural, and we live on a lake, so some of these things will make sense to us. They might not make sense to somebody in the middle of, you know, New York, in particular, who's never seen a horse. Because he's using things that they'd understand, and he, he uses three illustrations to make the, this idea that little words are powerful. Little words can cause big damage. So he says, first of all, there's a horse. And he says, a horse is this gigantic animal. You ever ridden a horse? Everybody ridden a horse? And you know how you ride a horse? My brother has horses. And I, I was supposed to have, he's supposed to at Easter bring me a bridle and a bit. And I didn't remember until this morning. I don't have the bridle and bit. That was I was supposed to have from Easter. And so what you do on a horse, I've never been a horse guy. I like you to turn something off and it's done. You don't have to brush it and comb it and feed it and everything like that. Horses are a ton of work. But you take this horse and you put a bridle over its head and that bridle's got, you're a horse person, the bridle's got, it's got a, it's got a bit in its mouth. My brother would yell when I'd ride his horses because you don't, if you're a horse lover, you don't go rip, rank, you know, pulling on this, the reins because you hurt the horse's mouth. You just turn a little bit, but here's the deal. That bit's in its mouth to, so that you can direct where it goes. And so when you pull on the reins, it pulls on the bit and it hurts, honestly, it hurts the horse and the horse listens to what you say. That's why a horse is a bridle and a bit. And, and he's saying, listen, that little, the, the little bit's only about that long. It's about maybe as big as my pinky. And it goes in their mouth, and it can steer an entire horse through the bridle and the bit. He's saying, look, that little thing can cause a lot of, have a lot of effect. Then he goes from there, and he turns to ships. Now, they understood ships. We understand ships. We're talking about sail ships. And he's saying that you have this great big sail ship, sailboat, and you can direct it with a little rudder. In a couple of weeks, you're going to be able to go down to the harbor and see this. There's going to be all these beautiful sailboats in the harbor. We go down there and they got these huge sails that go up and there's a rudder that goes into the water and the wind catches the sail, but how do you direct where it's going to go? You turn the rudder and it takes this gigantic ship and this little rudder, compared to the size of the ship and the sails, is very small, it directs the, directs the ship wherever it goes. And then he goes one more. He goes, if you don't get that, you don't get the horses, you don't get the, you don't get the sailboats, let me tell you this. He says, a large fire can be started by a, well, I'll say this, by a single match. They didn't have match, you might say spark. A small fire can grow out of control and destroy everything in its path. Well, friends, if you read that, it's pretty easy to understand what James is trying to communicate. He says our tongue, which understand, he's using uh, synonymously with our words. When he says tongue, he's talking about the words we speak. Because this little piece of muscle in my mouth can't do anything 
without my brain and everything else. It's, the words come, come from the connection of all of them. So when he says tongue, he's using it synonymously with words. He said our tongue or our words, our tongue is very small, but it has the most, the most control over our whole body, and it's the most powerful part of our bodies. And I was thinking about this. What's something that would make sense to us today? And, and, and I really thought this. I thought, think of Stephen Hawking's because he just passed away. You guys know who Stephen Hawking is? If you don't know who he's the guy, you hear talk like this, you know, on a, a computer. Um, and Stephen Hawking was a brilliant um, the- theoretical physicist. You're laughing. I shouldn't do Stephen Hawking's voice. Sorry. And he's a smart guy. I disagree with about everything he came up with, all his conclusions about the universe, because he didn't believe in God. Um, and he had ALS. And so he talked through a computer. And you've all seen him on TV. You've heard him. You've heard his, if you heard his voice, his computer voice, you'd all know it. And, and here's the deal about him. Brilliant mind, the words he speaks come out of a computer. And the words that he has spoken literally affected millions upon millions of people. Matter of fact, I think it's affected millions upon millions of people to justify why they wouldn't believe in God. His words have been very, very effective. But get this, his words were very effective while his body wasted away. So the most powerful part of him were the words that he spoke. It was his tongue or his words that were powerful. James is trying to get us to understand that the words that we speak are a big deal. You know, we have a ministry around here we call Trek. Trek is our ministry. Uh, matter of fact, they just graduated. Someone forgot to show up at their graduation won't say who. Me. I never, ever miss appointments. And I miss the graduation that I was supposed to be at. Sorry, Trek people. But we do this program once a year called Trek. And Trek is our class on bringing inner wholeness and healing to people um, to, help them, to help them overcome obstacles in their life, and mainly obstacles of their past. And um, Trek, a lot of what we deal with in Trek is tied directly to harsh and hateful words that were spoken to people when they were young. If I had to say, you know, what are the, some of the most important things people are trying to overcome in track? It's the way they were treated and things that were said to them when they were young, especially by people who were supposed to love and care for them. And now they're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, dealing with things that are from way back then, which are from words. Our words are powerful. What we say can accomplish great good or cause great harm. And James wants, James wants Christian people to realize this and to take great caution in what we say. So if loose lips sink ships, then think what a negative word can do to a child when you say you are stupid or you will never amount to anything or you have a face that only a mother could love. We have phrases like that we use so common that, that we say those things. Think about that. James is saying that those little words have big impact. They are not jokes. They're like arrows to our soul that cause eternal damage. But think about it from the other side. Think about what a positive word can accomplish. You are beautiful. You are smart. God has an awesome plan for your future. Think what our words can do for the positive. Suzanne tells me all the time that I am her knight in shining armor. Let that sink in for a minute. She's been telling me I'm married for 29 years in a couple months. 
And she tells me still all the time, I am her knight in shining armor. Do you know what that does for me? To know that my wife thinks that I am her knight in shining armor? It lets me know that she cherishes me. Cherishes me. It lets me know she believes in me. It lets me know she thinks I'm, that I'm powerful and I can accomplish things. It lets me know that she loves and values me. Little words with big impact. James is encouraging us to choose our words wisely and make sure the impact that we make with our little words is big impact in the right direction. All right? Statement number three. Changing how we speak is an internal work, not an external work. Changing how we speak is an internal work, not an external work. Look at verses seven and eight. These are probably the most, the, the, the funniest part of the whole verse if there's anything funny about it. Every species of the beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Have you ever watched one of those uh, cop shows? We like to watch cop shows like Cops or um, Dateline, something like that, where they're, where they're showing what happened in crime and all this stuff. Well, at t- times, this is what will happen. If you've ever watched it, why don't you just watch the news? You might see this too. They will show someone being arrested. And while they're being arrested, maybe something like this. There'll be like six cops tackling this person to get him on the ground. And then because he keeps fighting, they pull out their taser and they tase the guy. And after six cops are fighting him, they tase the guy, they put cuffs on him, and then they take this tased guy, and they, they took him and they, they throw him in the back seat of a squad car. And you know what makes me marvel and, and laugh often in those situations? The guy is sitting in the back seat of the car after being beaten up by six cops and tased and handcuffed, and he's still in the back of the car, and the camera's on, he's going, no one's going to disrespect me. I'm going to get you. And he's handcuffed and he's been tased and he's sitting in the back of a car and he can't even move. You're not going to tell me what to do? Like, well, I guess they are. Well, this is what James is talking about here. He says no one can tame a man's tongue. You know, he says all the animals in the world have been tamed. You can make a killer whale jump through a hoop at SeaWorld. All the animals of the world have been tamed, but you can tase and cuff and beat up a man and throw him in the back of a squad car and foolishness will still keep coming out of his mouth. That's just the way it is. Changing how one speaks will never come from external rules and force. That's his point. I can't beat you into speaking the right way. Why? Because what we say flows from who we are on the inside. It's like this. It's like a, if you have a glass and it's a beautiful goblet and you can, you, it looks beautiful on the outside, but you don't know what's on the inside until it gets shaken. And when you shake it, what splashes out reveals what's really on the inside. So the question is then, if I can't do it from force, I can, I can beat you and tase you and handcuff you, and I still can't control how you speak, and you can't control how I speak, then how do we change how we speak? Well, friends, it's from this. It's spiritual formation. If you're not, if you're not familiar with us around here, this means a lot around here, right? This means a lot. This is the triangle of change that we understand. How do we develop into Christ's likeness? It's through the triangle of change. How do I change the... This is about how I change the inside of my life. 
How do I change? Become more like Jesus. We understand that becoming more like Jesus is an indirect activity. That as I change certain things in my life and address certain things in my life, then the change will happen automatically. And the triangle of change talks about the the things I need to change. At the top of the triangle is what? I change my what? My narratives, the things that I believe about self and God. And a lot of you, if you've been in church for a long time, a lot of what you believe about self and God came from the world and not from the Word. And you need to make sure that what you believe comes from the Word, not from the world. So we, we align our narratives with the Word of God. On the other point of the triangle, what's over here? Spiritual exercises. Thank you, you're getting A's today. Spiritual exercises that say, I can engage in activities that open up my heart and give me an available heart to an activity of the ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit. So things like prayer and, and the Word and fellowship and, and all the different spiritual activities we can do, we can, what they do is they open up our heart to the Holy Spirit's activity and give God an access into my heart. What's the other point? Community. I've got to do it with a group of people who are going in the same direction. You will become like the people you hang with. So if you've got a group of people who say, we want, to go to, we want to be more like Jesus together, you encourage one another, you challenge one another, you correct one another. And it's all done by the power of what in the center? The Holy Spirit. It's all the Spirit's work. So how do I change what comes out of here? I change what's going on in here. We know this. This results in this, which results in this. The triangle of chain changes my heart and affects how I engage with the world. So this, in this context, is the words that I speak. So this results in a changed heart. And a changed heart would result in my words being different. So if I, if I will engage the triangle of change, that's how I speak different words. Not by handcuffing somebody, punching them in the mouth, and tasing them. They'll still be handcuffed going, I'm going to get you. No one's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, yes, we are. Lastly, let's do the last one real quickly here. Statement number four. It took me a long time to figure out how to say this in a way that makes sense succinctly, but it's the best I could come up with, and I think it's right. Praise songs can't hide a wrong heart. Praise songs can't hide a wrong heart. Verses 9 through 12, he says this, With it, with the tongue, with the words, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be that way. And then he goes on and gives some examples that out of the same fountain shouldn't come good water and bad water. From one tree can't come a different kind of fruit. This one is uniquely religious. James is talking to the folks who go to church that he's watching. Remember, this is Pastor James seeing people in his church acting improperly. And I think they're basically saying this. He's saying, just because you go to the praise service and you sit in the front row and you raise your hands and you worship, and I think you should have your hands raised in worship and say, I'm all in for Jesus. But just because you praise the Lord and you talk religious, that does not necessarily mean your heart is right. That praising God and going to church does not excuse bad behavior. If you talk like Billy Graham today but curse like a sailor tomorrow, James is saying there's something wrong with the picture. That's what he's getting at here. In particular, he's focusing on what he calls cursing people. He says you should not, your praise songs, you're blessing God. Oh God, you're wonderful. Oh God, you're great. Oh so-and-so, you're a jerk. And he's saying, how can this be? He goes, because so-and-so that you just call the jerk is made in the image of God. 
They're an icon of God. They're supposed to be a representation of God, and you're saying, God, if, this, if I'm representing God, I'm actually talking to God when I'm talking to you. I'm making a comment about God when I'm talking to you. Doesn't mean there's never a place for correction, but in the right way. He's saying, listen, cursing people, bad-mouthing people, gossiping about people, literally cursing them. His point is this, our speech needs to be consistent. Not one way at church and another way at work or at school. He's warning us about fooling ourselves here. Thinking that because we came to church today and we sang, we participated, that that somehow maybe we think this way, it earns merit with God, and therefore Monday through Saturday don't really matter. I can use my words any way I want. James is is, um, using how we speak as a window into our soul for self-evaluation about our spiritual condition. He's saying, what's it say when you're not praising and singing praise songs? What's that saying about the condition of your soul? And the question must be then, what does how I talk when I'm away from church and away from other Christians reveal about the health of my soul? Does it show that I just have a, a Sunday religion? That's very possible. I grew up that way with a Sunday. Well, we had two Sundays a year religion. We had Christmas and Easter religion. Two Sundays a year, we had religion. It's very possible in our community to live that way. Does how you speak reveal that you have a Sunday religion? You can sing the praise songs. Maybe you sing along with K-Love, but what's coming out of your mouth the rest of the time? Or does the self-examination show that you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit? No, you're not perfect, because none of us are. That's why he says it in this area, because it's not trying to condemn. He's not saying, you should all be perfect, because none of us are perfect. But you look at yourself, you might not be perfect, but you're growing in Christ-likeness. You're growing and you're developing, and this year's better than last year, and last year was better than the year before, and your words are becoming more blessings than they are cursings, and if you curse, it bothers you and you do something about it. The question is, which one do you want for yourself? I want to live a good and beautiful life, blessed by the Lord. My words tell me a lot about it. Your words tell a a lot about you. And here's the the good news. God takes us right where we're at. We say yes to him. And he helps us along the way. And he gives us the church world to help us along the way too. This is all about being part of this. And so I think we're on the right path. We're going in the right directions. Let's keep moving forward. Amen? Let's pray together today. Father, We need your help. Lord, according to James, he has just taken today, the text we're looking at, and poked his finger into the most difficult part of human existence. That's what he says. That you could tame every animal in the world, but you can't tame the tongue. That if a person was perfect in this area, they'd be perfect in every area. So he's saying that, Lord, this is the most difficult place. The most difficult area in our life. And so that's why it's a big revelation area. It shows us how we're really at. And God, we need your help. We need you to to help transform us on the inside. And Lord, we know we all have a place to grow in this area. And so Lord, we thank you that you are a present help whenever we're in need. And so, Holy Spirit, we've looked at your word, and we now pray 
we open up our hearts. We say, Lord, whatever you want to affect my life with, with these words, we welcome you. We welcome your, your help in our growth. Because we know this, Lord, the reason that you dwell in us by your spirit is to help us. To help us become more like Jesus. So Lord, we, we welcome your activity in our heart. We pray, God, help us to grow in Christ's likeness and let it be seen in the words that we speak. May the words that we speak in the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O oh Lord.